So we're thinking this morning about uh, whatever you do, uh, having thought last week about wherever you are. So in 1962, it is reported that um, uh, the then President John F. Kennedy, on his first visit to the uh, NASA Space Center in, um, in the USA, uh, met a cleaner in a corridor. And he asked that cleaner, what did he do? And it's reported his response was, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. Now, the, the, the truth of that story we'll never know, but the clarity of the sense of purpose that that person had to what he was doing was clear. He understood how he was part of a bigger picture. And that is what we're thinking about this morning. We're thinking about how we are part of a bigger picture, how what we do, how our work particularly, fits into that kingdom perspective. But we have a bit of a problem. We have a problem that Christianity has created a sacred secular divide. It's always, for a long time, been a problem. Consciously or unconsciously, it's a challenge. Um, And the Reformation fought against it. The Reformation fought back and said, actually, God is a God of life. It's, It's the whole thing. But it creeps back in, and I would say, it's probably as strong today as it is ever in, in an unconscious way. Um, we separate out what we think is secular and what we think is sacred. We divide the two up. But it really doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense biblically, uh, and we'll see that this morning, but it doesn't make any sense logically. Just, just an example, do you remember the pandemic? Some people remember the pandemic. There's something about the pandemic. It's affected our memories, hasn't it? Everything that happened before was better, and now we're at a point where we don't even remember it even happened. Uh, It's weird. But anyway, during the pandemic, right at the beginning, we had a thing called key workers. Remember that, key workers. So we said, well, we need key workers, because everybody's locked down, so we need key workers. Who are the key workers going to be? Well, the medical people. It's going to be the medical people. Yes, absolutely, of course, because we've got all these people that are ill, so we need the medical people. So we do that, and then we say, oh, we need food. Oh, okay, so the shop workers, the food shop workers, they're key workers. Oh, but they haven't got any food to sell. Oh, the lorry drivers. The lorry drivers are key workers as well, so let's carry on. Um, and we, we moved on. I don't know if you know, all the telecom workers became key workers because actually all of a sudden we were working at home, and when our internet didn't work, it was a bit of a problem. Uh, I actually work in aviation, uh, and I had all sorts of special privileges I found out partway through. I could travel without vaccination, I could go all sorts of places because I was an aviation worker, because they realized they needed the aeroplanes to transport the medicines and the food, uh, and all this started to thing. And what you sort of realize is it didn't really work, because actually it was just a time-based assessment of who was important and who wasn't at that moment in time. I don't know if any of you have experience now of problems getting hold of things due to the pandemic. Anybody experience that? Yeah. I I need electronic components of things. I'm forever, I'm being told, well, actually this we can't get because it wasn't made two years ago. And that was because those people weren't key workers. Those people working in the factory weren't key workers at that point in time. Um... And it, was, you know, it wasn't seen as, as key. But actually, the cruciality of it was, it all plays part of the bigger picture. They're all key workers to how we, 
how we, we live our lives in that way. And that, and that, again, is our challenge. Just a week ago, I was in uh, the Royal South Hants Hospital, sort of out of hours. Um, Alice was in accident, emergency, or whatever it was. And I, but I was wandering around the hospital, and I happened to notice the cleaners. And they had stripped out a room, and they were deep cleaning this room. And it suddenly struck me. I thought, who's more important? Are, are, are the doctors and nurses or the cleaners? Can I decide one's more important than the other? And, and actually, can you? Well, I, just, I looked some statistics up, actually, this week. I looked at a government report. Um, each year, 4 million people in Europe in hospi- get a hospital-inquired infection, of which 37,000 people die from it. Uh, equivalent states, one in 31 patients gets a hospital-acquired infection. So who's more important, the nurses or the cleaners? Actually, you start to see that the cruciality of all those people, just like the cleaner in NASA, is about bringing people safe and well and healthy through the medical system. Uh, uh, and that is how it's so important. So as we go into Paul here in Colossians, we, we see that, that very fact. And I, just the last line of this, um, verse 25, it's very good. He says, there is no favoritism. And that, that is the point here. Actually, which of these is more important than the other? He's saying, well, there is no favoritism in this situation. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Because Paul writes in here, back at verse 22, he's writing specifically to the slaves. And he talks to these slaves. Now, these are slaves. These are Christian slaves of the Romans. Now, do you know what the Romans used to do to the Christians? They used to throw them into the gladiator's pit. They used to, you know, use them as bait. This was, this was a pretty tough place to be. And Paul is telling these people who are slaves to these Romans that you are serving the Lord. He says in verse 23, he says, whatever you do, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working as for the Lord, not for human masters. So the question is, how can that be the Lord's work? How can that be the Lord's work when they're just slaves for these Roman masters? But Paul is putting it in the context of saying you can work for the Lord. And that, of course, for all of us, is our challenge. Our challenge is, can we see us doing it for the Lord. And that's the crucial point. I think actually, to me, that is the heart of this whole message, is he's saying, can you do it as for the Lord, and then it becomes our Lord's work. So it becomes our choice. It becomes a choice about our attitudes. How do we, how do we, how do we do it? How do we decide? What's our approach to it? Paul talks about that. And what's our understanding? Do we see ourselves in the bigger picture? Do we see ourselves in the kingdom picture? Um, and, and do we understand the spirit's realm, the spirit's role in the world, not just in the church, that actually the spirit is there for us all, every day, in every part of our lives. It's everything. It's not just some. So it's really, really clear to Paul. And as he said, verse 23, it says, Do it as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. So the question we need to think about is who do you work for? 
Because that's the first question. Who do you work for? Because once we've got that, the rest is relatively easy. And I'll talk a little bit more practically a bit later. In verse 24, Paul says, It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So, so there's a phrase, and, and, and you know, there's a, there's a phrase often gets used. Um, he's doing the Lord's work. You might hear people saying, he's doing the Lord's work when somebody goes off to be a missionary or when they, they go into the church. He's doing the Lord's work. It's a misused term because we should all be doing the Lord's work. There is no question. Paul gives us no margin. He gives us no, no gap for it. Um, I was always really struck by uh, the film uh, Amazing Grace, uh, William Wilberforce. If you've seen that, there's a, there's a lovely scene in it where Wilberforce, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's in, in Parliament and he's fighting. But he goes to see John Newton, who's, who's become a vicar, who's a slave trader. And he says, I think I'm being called in, in, into, into the, to, to, to the ministry. And Newton is, un, he says, get out of here. You've got work to do. The Lord has got work for you to do. And he sends him off. And of course, the story goes on is actually... Wilberforce spends the best part of his life in Parliament fighting for the abolition of slave trade. That was the Lord's work. It was the context and the place that the Lord was calling Wilberforce to do what he needed to do. So we then have this problem. Where do we put the divide? This sacred secular divide. How do we put it there? And as I say, Paul says there's no favoritism. There's no place. You can't draw that line there's no simple divide. It can all be the Lord's work. It doesn't mean that all work is good. Just put that in context. It doesn't mean that all work is good, but I talk about the fact that actually once we know who we're working for, our master, the Lord, will guide us to good work. He will guide us to the work he wants us to do. So we can always do the Lord's work, and we can do whatever we're doing for the Lord, but actually the Lord will then guide us to, to good work whatever that will be, and it can be that. I, I, when I first thought we were going to have the children here, I was going to do a little exercise. You know, which is more important? You know, we could think about what's more important. Is the missionary more important than the pilot that flies them to the mission field? You know, is, is, is the pastor more important than the heating engineer that provides the heating for the building? How do we decide one or the other? We, we can't because actually they are all part of the picture that generates what we believe is the kingdom. And Paul gives us no margin for that. So if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we should be doing the Lord's work in whatever uh, we do. So so you might say, well, surely some things are more important than others. Um, But the the point is, actually, that's not for us to decide. It's not for us to decide, well, this is more important than that. It's for us to know who we are working and for us to be guided and to follow that to do the work the Lord calls us to do. And say those cleaners in the hospital, if they decided that there wasn't important, then we'd have a problem. But actually, they, they need to know that they are part of that bigger thing. So Paul does define us. Paul does help us. He talks about how you do it. He talks about with all your heart. In that verse 23, he says... He says, uh, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Now, just a point here. Doing it with all your heart does not mean working every hour of the day in your place of work, thinking, 
I need to be seen to be doing this really well for the Lord. Because actually that's not what Paul is saying. And, and we've all worked with those people. I remember when I first started work, I'd come out of university, well, I've been working, but I've been at university for four years, and I came into my first, what I describe as proper job, um, and there was two of us started at the same time, and this other guy was always there. I'd arrive in the morning, and he'd be there, and he'd be there when I leave. And I never understood, because we did the same work, and he never did any more work than me, and it didn't make any difference. But I never understood it. I just took my cue from everybody else. It's like, well, I've been here for my day. It's time to go home. Um, and, I, and I think there's a challenge, isn't it? We have this sort of natural way of, what is it to be seen? Is, is it about seen, important to be seen or seen to be important? Whatever, it's something about that. But that's not what Paul's saying when he says work with all your heart because he, he highlights this um, about how we shouldn't do that. And there's fantastic Greek. Um, I just want to pull up a slide there. There's some fabulous Greek in here in verse 22. Yeah, I don't know if you can see that there. Um, but, but there's two words that's used. Uh, one is ophthalmology, uh, which is eye services. Paul says, don't do eye services. And then he uses another word, anthropakros, man-pleasers. Do not be man-pleasers. So in verse 22, he's saying, don't do this for eye service. Literally the word we use for how we get off ophthalmologist, you know, actually it's about eyes. Don't do it just to be seen to be good. Um, uh, you know, our translations here, you know, put it as do not carry their favor when their eye is on you. And then the other is this word, man pleasers. You know, you hear someone say, oh, my job is to, is to, is to keep everyone happy. That's not what the Lord calls us to do. That's not, uh, you know, that's a court jester's job, keep everybody happy. What the Lord is calling us to do is what he wants us to do. There's no biblical answers to support that. You know, Paul wasn't out to keep everybody happy. He wasn't a man pleaser. He's in prison for most of this time. It wasn't Jesus, was it? He wouldn't have ended up on a cross if he dared to please man. Uh, And and it's not Moses uh, either. Moses uh, wasn't there keeping people happy. But they were doing it as for the Lord. They were not doing it for man. And that's what... Paul is saying, he said, do it for the Lord, not for man. You're not there to keep people happy. You're there to follow the Lord. Do whatever he asks us. And then going back, as we didn't read this morning, verse 12, uh, Paul gives us these, these pointers. He says, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the ways to which we can do the Lord's work. Yeah, just thinking about Moses there, actually. If Moses had been a people pleaser, if Moses had been a anthropocosis, I can't even say it now, where would the Israelites be now? They'd be in Egypt. Actually, they didn't want to leave. You know, the whole story is a moaning. But actually, Moses knew what the Lord was calling him to do. And he says, well, we're leaving. Let's go. Uh, and that's the truth. God calls us to follow him. He calls us all to follow him in our work. Uh, and that's just no exception. I, I remember our first church, there was a chap, he was looking for jobs. He was really struggling to get a job. And he managed to get a Saturday job in a state agent. And he went for this, this trial of this job. And he said, well, he was told, you know, all he was doing was a man in the desk in the state agent. 
And when, then they told him, well, when somebody comes in, you need to tell them that loads of people have looked at this property and there's, somebody's made an offer on this one or whatever. And he said, I can't do that. I can't, it's, it's not what I'm going to do. And I mean, I, I really respected him because he wasn't someone I thought was a very devout, you know, Christian or whatever, but he just said, I can't do that. And he didn't take that job and he really needed the work. And so it was actually, you know, a great example. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to do what God's asking us to do in the context we are. He becomes our boss. Uh, I, and it's my, it's my experience of being actually finding myself working for the Lord whether that be in church or whether it be in business, when you know you're working for him, when it's time to move on, when it's time to say no, you can do that. Because you know that that is who you're working for and why you are working. And there's that saying, you know, my, my boss has cattle on a thousand hills, as it says in Psalm 50. So surely God's work is more than simply the way you do it. And absolutely, that is true. And absolutely, that's really important. As I said last week, um, I'd come to know, through studying theology, I'd come to know my work as worship. Come to know all that I do as part of my worship and how it all matters to God. It has kingdom purpose. It has a bigger picture. Up until that point, up until studying, I'd only ever heard and been told that it was work as evangelism. Work was about telling your work colleagues about Jesus. And that didn't make any sense to me because I didn't need to spend six years of hands-on training and education to tell my work colleagues about Jesus. I could have simply made the tea and delivered the tea if that was what I was there for. So there had to be more the reason I was doing what I was doing. Um, and, that's, you know, and that's why I really came to see that. It was a kingdom purposes. So, so I'm going to talk about biblically why that is in a moment. I just want to first give you a bit of an example, uh, again, of, of starting to see that at work, starting to see the Lord in my work and a relative to that. As I say, I was involved in international risk definition. We were defining uh, how risk is measured in aviation. And I was going to meetings once a month um, to define what effectively was European law. And there were, there were a group of people, about three people, who were from one organization, and they were what I would describe as filibustering. They were just delaying the progress as we were trying to develop this thing. And, and, and it was just, it was going crazy. And I sat in this meeting in Paris, and the Holy Spirit said to me, they were going on about something, and the Holy Spirit said, let rip, Andrew. It was like, I don't tend to do that. If you know me, I get angry quietly, so this isn't my scene, but... I just thought, okay. And I let rip in this meeting, and I laid into these three people, and I went, you cannot do this. You have done this. For, you have been round and round in circles. You are just wasting our time. You're just trying to stop the and We are here for a reason, and we've got to do this. And everybody looked at me in the room. They don't know me for years. It's like, whoa, something's wrong. And I just absolutely, and the chairman was hugely diplomatic and said, oh, I think we'll take a break now. <laughs> and so in the break I, I made peace with these colleagues was, uh, I'm trying to think one of us one was a Romanian, one was a, a Dutch guy and whatever, and I'd known him for years and I you know, talked to him about it and said, yeah, sorry I, I, I lashed out there, but I didn't apologise for the message I apologised for, 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 for the style for the technique 
And actually, I realized from that, I thought, well, why did I end up doing that? Well, I soon found out, because actually, when that meeting ended, we then carried on, and in the next meeting, we made more progress in one meeting than we made in the previous six. And there are many people that actually recognize that watershed moment, that that was the moment we break through. They came back, they continued to participate, but they participated with a constructive and a participatory approach. Because actually the truth had been spoken. The truth had been said, this is what you're doing. And everybody saw it and everybody could see that. And that was that moment. And it was times like that when you realize actually God is hugely interested in that because that is part of the bigger picture. It's part of the storyline. Making aviation a safer place. That's now European law. And that was not making progress. So perhaps you can say, well, that's all very well. That's an account. That's an experience you've had. What about the Bible? Well, this is where I came to this, is because we were studying Exodus. Uh, one of the key parts of our, um, our course was, was to study Exodus, because Exodus is the first place in the Bible where sort of corporate organized worship starts. It's where we start to come into this place that we're going to gather and worship in a way. And what we find is we find the template for the temple. We find the Lord specifying what worship's going to be like uh, and the building of the temple. Um, and what you see when you study that, and we haven't got time to go into it, is actually it is a microcosm of creation. It's creation in small time. There's every part of what God has created is brought together in this temple as worship. And so what worship becomes, it becomes a co-creative activity. The people are equipped by the Spirit to build and to make this place they're equipped by the spirit to come in and to maintain creation and that is what worship is all about that's what the blueprint for worship that exodus gives us is all about it's bringing creative order it's making this place what god intended it to be and the spirit is poured out for them in that place for that purpose. So whatever we do in that terms, if it's part of that kingdom, is our worship. It is what God calls us to do. And it is in his glory that we do it. The Spirit equips us. And that is true in this statement. In Paul's uh, account here, Paul's letter in Colossians 3, if we go into verse 17... You'll see that Paul is talking about the worship activity. He's talking about, he says, um, admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's the worship context. But then verse 23, when he's just been talking about our work, he's been talking to these slaves, he says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord. He says exactly the same thing in both those contexts. Whatever you do, everything. Uh, we had a leaders thing this week, and, the, and part of the video we had to watch for it was, uh, you know, if you have an everything box, you put everything in it. If you don't put everything in it, it's only a something box. Uh, and it's really true. When you start to think of life like that, you think, actually, yeah, if it's everything, it means everything. So when Paul says whatever, he means whatever. He doesn't mean some things. He means whatever. And, and that's the truth here. Paul gives us no margin. He gives us no space for this divide. 
He doesn't create this line. He says, well, that's the worship, and this is working for the slaves, but don't worry about that. Actually, this is for God. So is this. They're both for God, and we need to bring those together. It all matters. It's all to God and all in our worship of him. We're doing all right for time because it's Remembrance Sunday this morning. So what I'd like to do is just, just really finish that up in a real practical note. Because last week people asked me, I said, well, you know, practically, how do you see God everywhere? You know, how do you do that? And I, I really thought about it this week and I thought, practically, how do we, we do that? So I think there's two crucial things. If you'd like to bring up the slide again, thank you. Yeah, do you want to go up full so everyone can read it? That's fine. I know what I look like. They do too. So that's fine. Okay, so, so practically, I'd say choose your boss and choose your work partner. Who do you work for and who do you work with? You know, or if it's not in a work context, who do you live for and who do you live with? Who's with you every day? And it's about using language. It's about saying we. You know, I will pray... Okay, Lord, we're here. How are we going to deal with this problem? How are we going to deal with this? How are we going to make the best use of this day? Because I'm a co-creator with God. It's part of my calling is to be with God and to do God's bidding. It's not, I'm doing this, Lord. What would you like me to do as well? Actually, no, it's about I'm doing this for you. So the Lord becomes our master. He becomes our boss. It's him we're serving. And once we do that, it starts to reflect actually our lives. Our lives can become a daily uh, living experience with the Holy Spirit. That hour by hour, day by day, month by month, the Spirit guides us in whatever we do. Because we do it for the Lord. We are in that place, as Paul says. We're doing it for the Lord Jesus. And, and, and the second is this, this, the second part is is that question at the end of the day ask the question is the world a better place is the world more like the kingdom of God because that's what it's all about actually and that question I've used the word I've put a word there kalos which is a, which is a Greek word because is it I often use the term is it more beautiful and actually, in the Greek, the, the kalos is a, is a fantastic word because it's actually a definition of outward sign of the inward good. So it's not, it's not, you know, contemporary beauty. This is beauty that is deep. It looks good because it is good. It looks good because we have been part of making it what God wants it to be. Whatever it is we do. It doesn't matter. It can reflect God. But as we walk with him, as we see him as our boss, then that journey goes on and he will call us on. He will move us. And that's been my experience as we step into that. Actually, you know, I've moved from jobs, you know, moved in churches. God says it's time to move on. It's time to carry on. I've got more work for you. But since I became a Christian, I've only ever had one boss. And that is the Lord. So that's a really encouraging to think about those two ways 
actually know who you work for and who you work with? And is the world more callous? Is it more beautiful? Because I even got out of bed this morning. I got out of bed this morning. As I go to bed, was it worth it? Was the kingdom a little bit bigger? Was the kingdom a little bit better? Even if it's one interaction with one person, and say, yes, that person's life's been made a little bit better. Or maybe this industry's a little bit safer. Or maybe, you know, more people know about Jesus because of that. Maybe these people have survived an illness or an accident because of that. Yes, the world is more beautiful. Yes, the kingdom is closer. And yes, our God in heaven is glorified. So I leave you with those thoughts. And we're now going to move into, I think, a time of prayer and time for reflection.